Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, between big money NIL deals and the crushing pressure put on young players, are college sports in crisis? And who's really to blame? A candid conversation with the NCAA athlete turned author of Surviving the Second Tier. Also this morning, this year's best picture, CODA, spotlights the challenges of the deaf in navigating a hearing world. Now a new medical study may hold promise in the ability to reverse the effects of gradual hearing loss in some patients. And we have highlights of April performances and events at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts, capped off with the long-awaited Texas Tenors concert at the end of the month. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. Today is National Mom and Pop Business Owners Day. So salute all of those small business entrepreneurs that have had such a rough go of it over the past couple of years. Uh, Always important to celebrate National Mom and Pop Business Owners Day, but especially right now. It is also National Lemon Chiffon Cake Day. So take a lemon chiffon cake to your favorite mom and pop business owner today. You got it covered. It is also uh, National Vietnam War Veterans Day as well, so we point that out. Uh, Some of the uh, reasons to celebrate today. So um, the preliminary ratings for the Oscars are in, and uh, despite the what has become known as the Will Smith incident uh, and the fact that they had uh, three really funny ladies as hosts of the Oscars, and you remember going in, Uh, They had made some changes to the broadcast to try to um, shorten it up and and streamline it a little bit, removed some of the less popular categories from the broadcast and all of that. Despite all of those changes and all of the unanticipated attention uh, turned to the uh, paid to the Oscars, it didn't really help the ratings a whole lot. Uh, They were up over last year, but still the second lowest viewership in Oscars history. So didn't really help the uh, the Oscars a whole lot. Um, 15.4 million viewers estimated for the broadcast. That was up 56% from last year. So ABC will spin it as a huge increase in viewership. And it was, percentage-wise, up 56%. That's a pretty big jump. But... Uh, Still the second lowest uh, in history. And uh, the Will Smith incident when he went on stage and slapped Chris Rock uh, for a joke that uh, he had made about his wife uh, is still being buzzed about. And I think it's really interesting how this is played off, uh, played out. It it seems like everybody uh, or most people, I don't want to say everybody because I am not in this camp, but. It seems like everybody is taking Chris Rock's side uh, on this uh, on this whole thing. And uh, certainly Will Smith was in the wrong for doing what he did. He shouldn't have gone on stage. He certainly shouldn't have slapped Chris Rock in front of everyone. It was uh, not a proper thing to do. But let's remember that Chris Rock insulted his wife on national television and uh I don't think we can let Chris Rock off the hook here. Uh, I mean, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine on uh, Facebook yesterday. Uh, Chris Rock made fun of Will Smith's wife 
for a medical condition she has, an autoimmune disorder that she has, she has no control over, what was substantively different from what Chris Rock did on Sunday night as compared to what, say, Donald Trump did when he mocked a reporter for his disability? And if you were appalled at that, which you should have been, there was that was completely out of line, you can't then turn around and say, oh, well, Chris Rock was just telling a joke. No, he was making fun of somebody for their disability. Now, this is not the disability uh, on the same level as maybe some others, but it is a disability nonetheless in the sense that it is an autoimmune disorder that she has no control over. And he was making fun of that. And I further should be pointed out that Will Smith has apologized now not once but twice for his behavior. He apologized to the Academy. He apologized to everyone in the audience. He apologized uh, to the uh, TV audience. And uh, he also yesterday posted an apology on Instagram to Chris Rock for his behavior. Chris Rock has yet to apologize for what he did for his role in this whole thing. As a matter of fact, yesterday there was a a quote-unquote apology that was circulating online purportedly from Chris Rock, and his publicist uh, made sure to come out and say, no, it was not from Chris Rock. So not only has Chris Rock not apologized for his role in all of this, but his people have specifically denied that he has apology uh, that he has issued an apology they have specifically made clear that he has not apologized and uh, so i think he owes uh, will and jada pinkett smith a uh, an apology of his own and the academy now is is looking into possible sanctions possible punishment possible you know something uh, to deal with uh, Will Smith and what he did, but I think they need to hold Chris Rock accountable as well. That's my take on it. Um, but nonetheless, one of the things that has been interesting about this is that it has drawn attention to Jada Pinkett Smith's condition. It is called alopecia, and 7 million people suffer from this, um, something that uh, Jada Pinkett Smith has struggled with since 2018. Uh, It says here, since the Oscars, a renewed awareness regarding the disorder has surfaced. Alopecia is an autoimmune disorder which causes hair loss. Hair falls out in clumps. Uh, It's your body attacking the hair follicles. Um, The body's immune system attacks its own hair follicles. Often hair falls out in patches. And in severe cases, patients lose eyebrows and eyelashes as well. And black and Hispanic women have a higher chance of developing alopecia. So there's the upside in all of this is that there has been an increase in awareness uh, for that. So kind of interesting, uh, saw that on the uh, Newswire. Some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. Speaking of African-American individuals and uh, that sort of thing, this is sort of a related note, I guess. Apparently, a a new analysis of a variety of published studies have found that Wearable devices are subpar when it comes to measuring the heart rates of darker-skinned users. People with darker skin tones who use smartwatches may have inaccurate heart rate readings on those smartwatches. 
that may be because the devices use green light to analyze blood volume changes, and that's how it monitors your heart rate. But darker skin blocks green light, which can thwart the accuracy of smartwatches and wearables. So apparently, uh, this is something that the uh, tech industry is uh, looking into and figuring out a way to I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, a couple of other uh, interesting stories in the in the news that are worth knowing to start your day. Uh, here's a political note. The heiress to the Anheuser and an heiress, I don't know the heiress, an heiress to the Anheuser-Busch beer fortune is entering the U.S. Senate race in Missouri. Trudy Bush Valentine filed run yesterday as a Democrat. Uh, the official announcement is expected today, but she actually filed it yesterday. She is the daughter of the late chairman of the Anheuser-Busch Empire and has been a major fundraiser for Democratic candidates for years. There are several other candidates vying for the Democratic nomination, but after her filing yesterday, one of them, former state senator Scott Sifton, dropped out and endorsed her immediately, saying he believes that she has the best chance to win. Uh, Ms. Bush Valentine's entrance into the race comes amid drama on the Republican side of the battle for the U.S. Senate seat. Former Governor Eric Greitens has ignored calls to end his campaign from most notable Murray's, uh, Missouri Republicans as accusations have surfaced of him physically assaulting members of his own family, which he has called charges, which he has called completely fabricated. Uh, Republicans concerned about possibly nominating a damaged candidate who risks losing what is otherwise a safe Republican seat. So stay tuned. Drama in the Missouri Senate race. Uh, big news yesterday. If you uh, miss this, Walmart is going to be removing cigarettes from some of its stores. Some of its stores, not all. The uh, stores include and i again i don't know if it's all of the stores in these states or just some of the stores but california florida arkansas and new mexico uh, are the states that have been targeted uh, by this change in walmart policy the uh, spaces occupied by the cigarette counter in those stores will be replaced by self-checkouts and other grab-and-go items um, walmart is already prohibited from selling cigarettes in new york city which has banned tobacco sales in pharmacies. And since Walmart has a pharmacy in its store, they can't sell tobacco products. Um, but this is a voluntary uh, voluntary uh, withdrawal of the products. And there are other. Target, I think, uh, does not sell cigarettes anymore, and a number of other uh, retailers don't. Um, so a lot of observers are looking at this as perhaps part of the chain's efforts to expand into healthcare and wellness. And so... Getting rid of cigarette sales only makes sense. But uh, again, just in California, Florida, Arkansas, and New Mexico, it remains to be seen whether that will become a company-wide policy. And uh, how about this? I saw this story on the uh, Newswire, and I thought, this is a great story. Baby boy Kendall Jernikens is finally going home. The 15-month-old who was born at just 25 weeks gestation, 25 weeks, uh, spent 460 days in the NICU. So he's 15 months old, and he has been in 
the hospital his entire 15 months of life. Uh, the baby spent his first year in the neonative, uh, neonatal intensive care unit at Ascension St. Vincent's Women's Hospital in Indianapolis. When he was born, doctors put his odds at surviving at 50-50, and he is going home. That is certainly a story with a happy ending, but I was reading that and I thought to myself, can you imagine what those bills, what those health care bills will be? 460 days in the NICU. Whoo, man. That is one heck of a hospital bill right there, to be sure. But uh, good news uh, indeed. So there you go. Some of the first things you need to know to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Emchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Decreasing clouds today with a high of 47. A chance of a rain or snow shower tonight, a low of 36. A stretch of a county road a little west of Finley is getting a lower speed limit. The Ohio Department of Transportation has approved the reduction of the speed limit to 45 miles per hour on County Road 9 in Liberty Township near Liberty Benton Schools and south for about a mile. The new 10-mile-per-hour lower speed limit is a result of a traffic speed study that was conducted due to the increased traffic volume and other factors. The new speed limit will not affect the school zone speed of 20 miles per hour during school hours. Get more on the website. A doctor in the Dayton area says in Ohio and nationwide, the vaccination rate in rural areas is about 20% lower than in urban and suburban areas. Dr. Kevin Sherritt is Kettering Health's medical director for rural health. I think if you have to break it down to, to one word, that is the most compelling reason people are not getting vaccinated is because of trust. They simply do not trust our government. They don't trust the vaccine. They don't trust the vaccine manufacturers. Dr. Sherritt says he still gets asked by patients every day whether the vaccine can be trusted. He says more than ever, the answer now is yes. Dave James, I went in news. Health officials say community transmission of the coronavirus in Hancock County remains low. A Disability Awareness Day event was held at Glenwood Middle School and involved having the students rotate through six stations to simulate what it would be like to have a disability. Trisha Klausing is an occupational therapist for Finley City Schools. All students, whether they have a disability or not, feel the same things. They all want to feel included. They all want to have friends. And even though they may have some disability or impairment. They're all just regular students that want to be treated as such. This month is National Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month. Get more on the website. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources is expecting an exceptional year for fishing on Lake Erie. The ODNR has released its Lake Erie Outlook Report with projections for abundant opportunities for two to four-year-old walleye measuring 15 to 22 inches. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, a lot of people lament the state of college athletics today with NIL rules blurring the lines between student and athlete and the mental toll it takes to perform at the highest level. Just this past week, Harry Miller stepped away from the Buckeyes football program, citing the pressure that had pushed him to the brink of suicide. M.K. Lever is a former Division I athlete, a Ph.D. student at the University of Texas at Austin, where she studied uh, NCAA rhetoric and teaches uh, communication classes. Her debut novel explores the plight of college athletes. It's called Surviving the Second Tier. So, first of all, Katie, you know the dark side. You say it's almost a dystopian side of top-tier college athletics that fans just don't see. 
and it's something, you know, that I had to learn through my research, you know, because as an athlete, I didn't see any of, of the unsavory um, things that, you know, I'd read about it in the news and I thought, oh, well, that's just not true. Um, you know, but then after I graduated and after I got to look at college sports more objectively and especially hmm. doing the critical research that I do, that was when I realized, oh, no, a lot of the things that we normalize in athletic culture are actually, you know, very exploitive and abusive and wrong. So it's not just hidden from fans. It is uh, in large measure hidden, quote unquote, hidden from the athletes themselves by the way it is normalized. Yeah, and I think now, you know, because I, I was in college in 2012 to 2017, so it was, you know, pre-NIL and, and pre-2020, which was a turning point, I think, for college athletes and um, just the awareness of, of their rights. But I was just, I was so busy as an athlete, too. It's like I didn't have time to think about, you know, oh, is this right or wrong? It was like, no, I had a scholarship that I needed to earn, and I had to train a ton and compete every weekend, and I was, I was just tired, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that keeping athletes busy is another way to keep them unaware of these things. Mm. We mentioned the Harry Miller story, Ohio State uh, offensive lineman who retired from football because they said the pressures nearly drove him to suicide. How many other mm -hmm. Harry Millers are out there that we don't know about? I had a teammate in college that um, did end up uh, committing suicide. You mm. know, so I know one very personally. Um, and, you know, aside from athletes who do take it that far, I do know that the mental health uh, issues uh, rates of college athletes are higher than that of the general population. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, athlete specific issues like eating disorders and body dysmorphia um, that are just amplified in, in athletic culture. Um, and so his, I, I'm so glad that he had the bravery to, you know, come forward and say, this is too much. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to say that this is too much and do what's right for you. Um, but there are a lot of athletes, you know, that don't or that can't. And those issues are not at all uncommon. Yeah. Of course, you know, again, from the fans' point of view, it's easy to see how there would be a lot of pressure within the Ohio State football program. I mean, here you're talking about the top of the top tier. Uh, how big of an issue is this further on down the food chain? I mean, is it substantively different for, say, a D1 lacrosse player, uh, obviously a much less high-profile sport, or even D2 or D3 players? I mean, you would think, again, as a fan, you would think that in sports, that are less high profile or at smaller schools that you don't get the same level of media scrutiny, there would be less pressure and so on and so forth. Is that the case? Well, you know, I, I could definitely see how a fan would think that. Um, but, you know, one thing that fans don't take into account is that athletes are competing for their scholarships. And if they don't perform up to their coaches, standards, then they can lose their scholarship. And so even though, you know, I, I was a mid-major track athlete, um, I was never, you know, I was never yeah. um, competitive enough to compete for a national championship. Track is not, you know, it's not football. Um, you know, so we didn't have all the media coverage and scrutiny, but I still felt this pressure to mm. perform because, you know, if I don't, then that's my livelihood. Like that, that is, that's my ticket to an education. Yeah. So there, there is a lot of pressure. I think that fans don't see. And then athletes also, we just self-impose pressure because we want to be the best. 
you know, so even when we don't have those external pressures, there's a lot of internal pressure too. That's hard to understand if you're not a college athlete. You know, and, and it is almost ironic because it is that same sort of drive uh, that athletes have that gets them to that level that ends up in some cases working against them once they get there. And that happened to me in college. You know, I, I became obsessive about my sport. Um, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't eating properly. I was very, very thin, very unhealthy. I had tons of injuries and I just kept pushing myself to the brink because I felt this need to be the absolute best at my sport. And I also, I had coaches who, you know, would threaten to take away my scholarship if I, if mm. I didn't perform. Wow. They would say that I was lazy if I, if I wasn't training through injuries or that I was being selfish. And so there are so many other pressures I think that fans don't see that contribute to athletes. Um, you know, pushing themselves to unhealthy limits. You brought up the fact that you were actually an athlete before you got into the whole name, image, likeness rules that now allow for college athletes to profit off their celebrity status. There are a lot of people who don't like that idea for a variety of reasons, but I wonder, does that only add even more heat to the college athletics pressure cooker? I think it can, um, but I think what some people don't like understand about, about college athletes is, you know, we're technically, we're, we're generally very tech savvy. Like we're on social media. We are, you know, we're in the general media. And so we're already contributing all of this time to our public image. And, and it's honestly up to them, um, you know, how much time they want to sacrifice for their personal business and their personal brand. Um, and there, there are a lot of benefits to that, you know, it, in, in building a brand and networking and making business connections as a college student. Yeah. So in the book, as we said, you take all of this to an entirely different level. You've described it as giving college sports the 1984 treatment. Yeah. So the the main uh, premise of my book is that in the future, athletic departments across the United States have spent too much money on flashy facilities and nice gear and extra perks to lure in recruits. Um, and so as a result of that, these universities go bankrupt and the governing body of college sports steps in and says, okay, we're going to save this model because it's lucrative. And instead of having a multi-sport model, we're going to switch to a single sport model to save money. Um, and the single sport model is centered around college fighting. And the reason being is because, you know, it's flashy, it's violent like football. It only requires, you know, it requires very few facilities, very few officials, not as much equipment. And so it's a money saver while also generating a ton of money because of the flash and the violence of the sport. Um, and so my novel follows a mid-major, essentially a mid-major second tier team um, as they are navigating their performance anxieties, their um personal relationships and tensions, their issues with their coach, um, and just navigating a system that was never really designed to benefit them in the first place in the same way that the NCAA was never truly designed to benefit college athletes. So like 1984 was something of a cautionary tale of where we could end up if we're not careful, is this the same? I mean, could this be where we are headed and how close are we? It has a similar flavor. I don't necessarily think that the NCAA is ever going to become, you know, a fighting league. Right. Um, but I do think I do think that the issues need to be addressed, you know, because we've come very, very far in name, image, and likeness rights in a very short amount of time. But where I'm not seeing the same kind of energy and progress is in athlete health and safety, in you know, providing mental health resources for college athletes. 
um, in gender equity, in bridging power imbalances between athletes and coaches, in um, scholarship policies and making sure that those actually benefit athletes instead of being used against them. Um, and so these are just a few areas that I wanted to talk about in my book as sort of a cautionary tale because I wanted to talk about the effects that these areas have on athletes and, and just to humanize athletes a bit because I see so much dehumanization of, of college athletes and professional athletes too where we tend to um, reduce them to statistics or salary totals or whatever numerical markers we attribute, you know, to athletes. Um, and so I wanted to just create a very human story where people could get emotionally attached to these characters. So it's not even, it, it's technically a sports story. It is a dystopia. It's also mm -hmm. just a very human story. And I hope that even non-sports fans um, will read it and, and be interested in it. So who is, who is the bad guy uh, in all of this, both uh, within your book and, and really uh, in reality? I mean, is it, is it the NCAA? Is it the universities? Is it the, the media uh, who makes uh, so much of a, a big deal about all of this? Is it the fans? Uh, you know, Who's the ultimate bad guy? That is such a good loaded question. Um, I think that there are multiple bad actors in college sports, and I think that there are multiple layers of complicity. I, I do view the NCAA as definitely not doing enough for athletes and resisting movements that would benefit them. Like the NCAA resisted NIL for decades. Right. They're continuing to um, you know, resist any kind of initiatives that would amplify the voices of college athletes. But they're not the only bad actors. You know, the conferences are also not doing a whole lot to help college athletes. Universities, I would say, um, are not doing enough. And even fans are sort of complicit in, yeah. in, in this exploitation of college athletes by continuing to support the NCAA. And that includes me. I'm a college uh, sports fan. I love like my brackets are garbage right now, but I love, I absolutely love March Madness and yeah. college sports. And so it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things that I have to turn my brain off to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, it really is uh, fascinating uh, to get this inside look at uh, what college athletes go through. And again, kind of taking this uh, to its uh, ultimate dystopian level, thought provoking and in some ways very disturbing NK Lever. Again, the book is called surviving the second tier. Do you have a website in conjunction with the book we can guide folks to? Yes, it's on Amazon. So just look up Surviving the Second Tier. I'm also on social media. So it's Lever Fever on um, Twitter or Instagram. The purchase link is in my bio, too. Katie, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Well, you know that familiar catchphrase, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Uh, maybe it should be, can you understand me now? Because it's not just about being able to hear things, it's about being able to hear, hear well enough to understand what you are hearing. Fact is, hearing loss is on the rise, and it is not just a natural part of aging, it is a public health problem that spans all age groups. However... There's currently clinical trial underway where patients can receive a potential new therapy that could actually reverse hearing loss. And joining us this morning is Dr. Susan King, co-founder of the Ear Medical Group in San Antonio, professor at the University of Texas Health Science Center. And Dr. King, first of all, just kind of put this in perspective. We mentioned that this is not just uh, something uh, among the aged. Uh, this is uh, all age groups. Uh, that this is a, a problem. How big is this issue? So 40 million people in the United States have some 
sensory neural hearing loss. And you're absolutely right. It spans all age ranges. And it's on the rise because we live in a noisy industrial society. And it not only impacts an individual, it impacts their family and society as well. An individual can have milder forms of hearing loss where they have difficulty hearing in a background noise environment, such as a restaurant, or they can have more significant hearing loss, which makes them withdraw from interactions, and that can lead to social isolation, depression, and even cognitive decline or problems with short-term memory and thinking ability. And I see people in the clinic all day long that tell me that they are struggling with hearing loss, and the statistics are that it takes someone seven to ten years after they notice their hearing loss before they even... Are we back? Hi, <laughs> ah, yes. There we we're go. Back. I thought maybe I just I thought maybe I just couldn't hear you there for just a second. But anyway. You just qualified for our study. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um so you know, and, and what's really interesting, I think, as we said uh, about this uh, study, about this uh, clinical trial, is to this point, it has always been believed that uh, once, you know, hearing loss sets in, I mean, once it's gone, it's gone. Uh, so this study aims to potentially restore hearing. How do you do that? That's right. In humans, we don't have the ability to restore our sensory cells of hearing. This drug candidate potentially will activate and restore the hearing uh, sensory cells. And so right now in 25 sites and more throughout the country, and I think the closest site for you is in Cincinnati at the University of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. um, we are studying a drug candidate where we, uh, with a single dose, we place it in the ears of uh, patients that have noise-induced hearing loss or sudden sensory neural hearing loss, and then we measure their speech perception. The, in previous trials of this drug, we have seen with one dose that um, some uh, patients respond and with significant improvement in their speech perception or ability to understand words to the point that some have even doubled their speech perception. And that's remarkable because these are patients that had long-term hearing loss with no other reason for it to improve spontaneously. And I had the opportunity to bring some of those patients back one to two years later, and some had even maintained that improvement after that time. So this is... So that's why we're embarking on a larger study. So this is uh, potentially very exciting on any number of levels. If this works as intended, ultimately, could it make hearing aids obsolete? Well, I think um, too much. we need more information on uh, this potential drug candidate to see that. But you could assume that if you have a milder form of hearing loss and you had improved speech perception, um, after uh, responding to a drug like this, then you might be able to not need a hearing aid. In the more uh, moderate to severe hearing loss range, I could see where this drug would be used in conjunction with hearing aids to make the hearing aid work better by helping with speech clarity while the hearing aid amplifies the sound. Yeah. So as you mentioned, the next 
stage of this is to expand the uh, clinical trials, look for more uh, uh, trial subjects. So how do people get involved and who are you looking for to get involved? So we're looking for subjects 18 to 65 years of age that have a history of noise-induced hearing loss or sudden hearing loss. And they can look at a website, clarahealth.com, capital C-L-A-R-A, health.com, and search for hearing loss study or FX322. And as I mentioned, there is a study site in University of Cincinnati close Mm -hmm. by. Yeah. Uh, So just to clarify in terms of who is eligible, uh, you're looking for those who have diminished hearing versus those who are completely deaf? That is correct. Um, We are not enrolling people with um, deafness or who already have a cochlear implant, okay. which is a surgical device for severe hearing loss. Yeah, and and also those who have gradually lost their ability to hear versus those with a congenital deficiency of some kind. Well, if, if the gradual hearing loss is noise-related, they may qualify. It has to be an acquired hearing loss. Gotcha. It cannot be something uh, that you're, something born, you're born with born or with. congenital. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, Correct. Again, uh, Dr. Susan King is co-founder of the Ear Medical Group in San Antonio, professor at the University of Texas Health Science Center. Really exciting news uh, for the millions of Americans and the growing numbers of Americans who struggle with gradual hearing loss. Again, mention the website where folks can get more information on these clinical trials if they want to get involved or just learn more. ClaraHealth.com, C-L-A-R-A, and search for Hearing Loss Study or FX322. Dr. King, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A Houston woman is under arrest arrest, uh, on an accusation that she stole a Metro Police SUV. (laughs) Police say the woman hopped into the vehicle early yesterday morning after getting off a rail line. Uh, She is accused of barreling through a gate, driving the SUV around for a little while, and then surrendering. (laughs) It's as simple as that. (laughs) She is accused of unauthorized use of a police vehicle. No injuries were reported. There's got to be something more to that story. (laughs) I mean, what, what would possess you to think, you know, you get off the train, you get off the, uh, the subway or whatever. And, uh, you see the, uh, cop car sitting there and think, I'll just hop in and go for a spin. They won't mind. Surely they won't mind. I mean, after all, it is a public vehicle. I'm a taxpayer, by golly. I pay for that vehicle. I'd be able to take it for a spin whenever I want. Nope. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a man in Oxford, England, has been arrested after police discovered a stash of allegedly stolen bicycles That was so large, this collection, this stash of stolen bicycles was so large that they were visible on a Google Maps satellite image. 54-year-old man living in the house was arrested on suspicion of handling stolen goods and possession of criminal property. 
The man later released uh, as the investigation continues. He's uh, posted bond, apparently. Neighbors tell uh, local news reporters there in Wales that police were at the address sorting through hundreds of bicycles. One resident of the neighborhood says, this really cracks me up that no one spotted it sooner. I mean, surely you'd think it was suspicious to have a garden overflowing with bicycles. I mean, uh, one other person said, "Do the na- did the neighbors not think that something was strange? What, did they got 200 kids <laughs> on the bicycles in the backyard? Apparently, the bicycles have been there for years, and only now did somebody put two and two together. They might be, <laughs> might all be stolen. Oh, goodness. Police in New Jersey are giving more details about an accident involving a horse trailer and a funeral home vehicle. On Friday, this happened, and this is this is crazy, and it's a little a little sad, a little disturbing. It happened uh, in the afternoon Friday on Route 17 South in the area of Route 4. I'm not sure exactly where in New Jersey. I guess if you're familiar with the roads, that tells you all you need to know. But anyway, the accident caused the ejection of the uh, <clears throat> passenger in the hearse. Through, through the passenger in the hearse, completely out of the vehicle. Uh, none of the uh, injuries, however, were serious. I mean, after all, I guess you can't really injure him anymore, but... <laughs> the the driver the the horse tra- the horse in the trailer was not injured so uh nothing to worry about there but crazy <laughs> usually when you're ejected from a vehicle it's uh, not a good thing but if you're already dead i guess this is a, a crazy thing to have happen in uh illinois oak park illinois just west of chicago uh, a woman has been dealing with an unusual problem. She get she gets she keeps getting deliveries of shoes to her doorstep, like from Amazon, uh, UPS, you know, all of these package delivery services. This has been going on for quite some time. She says fifteen or twenty pairs of unwanted shoes have just shown up on her doorstep. She says uh, they uh, just randomly show up every few days, and most of them are very, very, very tacky. She said both UPS and Amazon have been contacted by the woman regarding the shoe issue, and both companies say they are working to address the matter. Nobody knows exactly where they're coming from or how she ended up getting these random pairs of tacky shoes at her doorstep, but they just keep coming. What do you do? <laughs> I know what I'd do. I'd put, them, I'd put them online and resell them is what I would do. That's anyway. And uh, finally, in the uh, broken news, now schools are, are often the target of a lot of criticism. Maybe it's about the curriculum, what is or isn't being taught in the classroom, uh, maybe discipline issues, um, you know, it's, it's really easy sometimes to, you know, blame schools for many of society's ills when it comes to young people. And I don't want to hop on the bandwagon. 
uh, because it is a very difficult job. Educators have a maybe the toughest job in the world. That being said, however, there are times when criticism of the schools is fair, and sometimes the school has to own up to their own mistakes. One school in Indiana uh, is wishing that they had made picture day a different day other than St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) You might be able to see where this is going. Picture day was on St. Patrick's Day. The mother of one child at Sugar Grove Elementary School in Center Grove, Indiana, said uh, her son's full green attire created a hilarious photo against the green screen backdrop on picture day. You know, they take the pictures and they have the green screen and they can put, you know, whatever background they like. But it was on St. Patrick's Day, so all the kids were wearing green as well. Mom tells local news reporters her son entirely blended into the background from the top of his green hoodie to his lime green shorts all the way to his green mohawk. (laughs) It was just his face superimposed on the background (laughs) other kids had similar problems with picture day the school says the photos are still in the post-production process and the initial images will not be the final product but i don't know how you remove that i don't know how you fix that problem (laughs) other than maybe rescheduling picture day and trying to do a do-over there you go (laughs) is today's broken whoops that is today's broken news report this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service more or less of hancock county veteran services we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming wake up and text text and eat Mm-mm. text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever hi oh hey text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You know, during the pandemic, we all became addicted to buying things online, even more so than we were before the pandemic. I mean, we we, we all uh, have done some uh, maybe uh, impulse shopping online, but during the pandemic, we took it to a whole new level. So all of those things that you bought online during the pandemic, how much of that stuff is now sitting in a corner someplace gathering dust? A new survey suggests a majority of buyers have regrets over the things that they have purchased over the internet. Poll of 2,000 U.S. adults found 74% have experienced buyer's remorse after purchasing items online. So it's not just you. Some of the common regrets include 39% said they felt like the item they received was less valuable than what they expected. Uh, 34% say they were uh, disappointed that they didn't end up using the item as frequently as they expected. And 32% lament having spent too much money in the first place. As to why we impulse buy and bought those things that we end up regretting, most responders, the most respondents, the number one reason 
Uh, people blame their shopping experience on good advertising. 43% said uh, the advertising, they just fell for it, that idea, that perceived need. Uh, 43% cite cheap prices motivated them to buy. And 42% said just the availability, just the fact that something was available uh, maybe it was in the size or the color they liked, or it was just available online when local stores didn't have it. And so they figured the scarcity, they had to buy it now or miss out. I have to admit, I'm kind of in that category myself. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You with us from the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. A lot of things coming up in the month of April. It is going to be a very busy month. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to mention uh, one uh, event that is actually happening tonight. Uh, and there are still tickets available for the Community Read uh, event, right? Yes, there are definitely tickets available. Okay. Even if you haven't read the book, you should come listen. Yeah. Because um, authors are fascinating when and they talk. This, and, and this one, I understand, she is really, really good. And, she uh, is. It's yeah. a historical fiction mm-hmm. um, about slavery. Yeah. Her name is Sadiqa Johnson. Mm-hmm. And she's done her research, and she's really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, it'll definitely be an evening uh, worth, uh, an evening you will not soon forget. So, Absolutely. Uh, again, tickets are still available available for that happening this evening what 730 730 okay, yep so circle that uh, on your calendar uh has ha- have things pretty much gotten back to normal now at the uh, marathon center yeah i think so um people are waiting a little bit to buy their tickets so mm-hmm. that's a little less normal yeah um but people are coming out and coming to shows. Yeah, yeah i mean i'd be afraid that they were going to be canceled too so i understand <laughs> right. it it's and, a little stressful but i understand right. it and uh, <laughs> you know as well as anyone how stressful that can be uh i I'm sure. Uh, But having said that, uh, for whenever, you know, if events do have to be uh, postponed, rescheduled or uh, ultimately canceled, unfortunately, you know, you work with uh, patrons to make sure that, you know. Absolutely. We will never keep your money if you don't want us to have it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just to you know, put that out there, don't right. uh, don't be nervous or uh, afraid to, you know, exactly. Uh, get yes, your we, tickets. we'll exchange or refund or whatever we yeah. need to do. We want we want people to want to come back. Yeah. Uh, so uh, coming up in the month of April, uh, you've got a lot of uh, things going on. We so. do. But first, on the 31st, we have Damn Tall Buildings, the Live at Arms show. Yeah. So I'm excited about that one. Tell personally. us a little bit about this group here. Yeah, so they're I guess what you'd call new grass. They're just a young bluegrass group. Okay, um, I saw them in a hotel room at a conference, and I was just blown away. <laughs> um, that was a quartet. Is now a trio, but they're okay. still just as great. Okay. Um, I have a colleague that presented them in Vermont, and she was just raving about them. So they were just there. So we're looking forward to getting them to to Finley finally. That's one that's been rescheduled a couple of times. Yeah. So that is uh, on the 31st. Yes. So Thursday night at 730. To cap off the month of uh, March exactly. and then head full steam into uh, April. Uh, first thing up uh, in the month of April is a, a family series event. It is. It's Lightwire Theater. So that's Black Light Theater. It's super cool if you haven't seen it and they're doing an updated version of the story of tortoise and the hare okay so and that's the characters are in 
it's in black light. Yeah, it's, so it's they just sort of glow from the stage. It's actually puppets. <laughs> yeah, um, but you can't okay. see the puppeteers a lot of the times because of the black light. Okay. Yeah, it's. I've done a couple of shows like that. It looks uh, with really different companies, and it's yeah. really good. Um, you've got uh, a couple of other uh, things coming up uh, during the uh, month of April. Kind of give us the rundown here. Yeah. So we have point of the evening, um, and that is a benefit for the Chance to Dance Foundation, which mm-hmm. provides dance scholarships to kids. And that is coming up in April, um, and it's a great. This is about the fifth year that we've yeah. uh, done that. Yeah, local uh, uh, local ballet uh, company. And, yes, and, yep. Judy and Ed and Reading so, are the the founders. Yeah. Of that. And they have been uh, terrific supporters of the Marathon Center from the very they beginning. Have. Actually, one of the, the roads on at MCPA is named Reading Drive, just for them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then we have an author coming on the thirteenth, which I'm very excited about. Um, another author visit. His name is Matthew Dix. Okay, he's a uh, author, a fifth grade teacher, a storyteller, um, and he's going to come talk about his writing and his storytelling on the 13th. Okay. Um, and then we have Classic Albums Live if you're a Led Zeppelin fan. And who isn't? This, right. Uh, this is uh, Led Zeppelin 2. Right. So what these folks do is it's not a cover band. It's not an imitation band. They don't dress up. Okay. They're just really good musicians, and they recreate an album in its entirety live hmm. on stage. Okay. So this time it's Led Zeppelin 2. Awesome. Uh, that is on April the 20th. 20th, yes. And then a couple of other uh, things that are highlighting in the uh, month of April. Um, we'll have Texas Tenors at the end of the month, finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were supposed to be here in 2020. Yeah. Um, and that's selling really quickly. So if you want to come to that show, you should get your tickets soon. Yeah. We've got our uh, tickets for that one. So Great. that is – and and the Texas Tenors, uh, if folks, uh, remember they were on um, – America's it, Got America's Talent. America's Got Talent. I couldn't yes. remember which one that, that was, but uh, they really wowed yeah. people and have been selling out shows all over the country. Yeah, they they, they built their career on that show and yeah. done a great job. And we have some school day performances and just a, a lot happening and uh, of course as we come up on you know uh, spring and summer activities uh the uh, marathon center is also available for uh, your own personal events too. absolutely so. yeah we we do rentals for all sorts of things baby showers wedding showers weddings mm-hmm. um banquets and again all of that is uh, is back uh running full steam it now. is yep so. and i don't know if you saw we just announced our summer schedule Tell us about this. Yeah, so we um, one of the benefits of COVID is that we got to do shows outside, and they're sticking around. Uh, so we're doing three outdoor shows. We're having Boogie is back um, okay. with the Docksiders, who is a yacht rock band that was here last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing free events in the park. And if you go to mcpa.org slash summer. Um, you'll see all that yeah, listing. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, should mention now that you bring that uh, that up, it reminds me uh, the Marathon Center is actually taking over the uh, Riverside Summer Concert Series yes. this year, scheduling yes, for really all of that. Yes, we're really excited about that. A so. lot of civic bands, and and yeah, and that is coming back. So it because is. we've missed the past couple of years with the pandemic, so good to hear that that uh, is coming back. When will the first? I don't mean to put you on the yeah, you're uh, putting on me the on the spot here. here. It's um, in it's in June. June, right? yeah, okay. it's like six weeks, um, like right before and after uh, okay. 4th of July. So okay. Mid-June. All right. So uh, we'll look forward to that and we'll talk more about it when we get a little closer, but you can put that on your calendar uh, for the uh, month of June. So that will be coming back too. So lots of things going on. If folks want uh, more information, uh, again, tickets available to all of the shows that we were just mentioning and more, uh, you can get those online, right? Yes. MCPA.org. Okay. Very good. Again, uh, Heather Klo, the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts, an update on what's going on in the stage, live entertainment locally. Uh, Heather, thanks very much for dropping by. Thank you.
And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. Of course, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, organized sports get all the attention, but they aren't the only source of concussions. And what you need to know is we become more active again in the warmer weather. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.